Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we have read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 994, epilogue, a silence of three parts. No pages remain. It was night again. The Waystone Inn lay in silence, and it was a silence of three parts. The most obvious part was a hollow, echoing quiet made by things that were lacking. If there had been a steady rain, it would have drummed against the roof, sluiced the eaves, and washed the silence slowly out to sea. If there had been lovers in the beds of the inn, they would have sighed and moaned and shamed the silence into being on its way. If there had been music. But no, of course, there was no music. In fact, there were none of these things, and so the silence remained. Outside the waystone, the noise of distant revelry blew faintly through the trees. A strain of fiddle, voices, stomping boots and clapping hands. But the sound was slender as a thread, and a shift in the wind broke it, leaving only rustling leaves and something almost like the far-off shrieking of an owl. That faded too, leaving nothing but the second silence, waiting like an endless, indrawn breath. The third silence was not an easy thing to notice. If you listened for an hour, you might begin to feel it in the chill metal of a dozen locks turned tight to keep the night away. It lay in rough clay jugs of cider and the hollow taproom gaps where chairs and tables ought to be. It was in the mottling ache of bruises that bloomed across a body, and it was in the hands of the man who wore the bruises as he rose stiffly from his bed, teeth clenched against the pain. The man had true red hair, red as flame. His eyes were dark and distant, and he moved with the subtle certainty of a thief in the night. He made his way downstairs. There, behind the tightly shuttered windows, he lifted his hands like a dancer, shifted his weight, and slowly took one single perfect step. The waystone was his, just as the third silence was his. This was appropriate as it was the greatest silence of the three, wrapping the others inside itself. It was deep and wide as autumn's ending. It was heavy as a great river-smooth stone. It was the patient, cut-flower sound of a man who is waiting to die. That is the page, it is the chapter, and it is the book. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. I would like to request that we move through this page from the top to the bottom, because I think there's lots to think about. I was going to say the very same thing, uh, because, as I mentioned, the page fell out of my book. I have the first page and the last page side by side now, so we can very much go through line by line. There is a lot to read. All right, let's start. Let's do it. Let's start out really at the top, because we've got something in the very first line that we can talk about. Uh, The prologue and the epilogue have the same title, The Silence of Three Parts. This is also, I believe, I don't have the books in front of me, but I believe these are the titles of the prologues and epilogues of A Name, The Name oh, of the Wind. I can, I can check that. The very first paragraph is identical, except that the first line of the prologue is Dawn Was Coming, and the first line of the epilogue is It Was Night Again. Jeremy, over to you. Cool. That's like a, a, a nice structural similarity that all you know ties it all together. Um, it's interesting to me what is lacking in that first silence. Like, what are the things that would, it almost seems to me like the first silence is like, these are things that if they were present 
would make the inn come alive and feel like a place where like people, you know, lived and worked and, you know, enjoyed life. And Before the lack you get of too them- far, let me let me do the side by side comparison for the context. In the prologue, it is also uh, a storm and there's also a rain reference. Things are lacking. That is the same sentence. In the prologue, if there had been a storm, raindrops would have tapped and pattered against the cellus vines behind the inn. Thunder would have muttered and rumbled and chased the silence down the road like fallen autumn leaves. If there had been travelers stirring in the rooms, they would have stretched and grumbled the silence away like fraying half-forgotten dreams. If there had been music, but no, of course, there wasn't music. In the epilogue, as you said, it is the things that make it lived, but it is also a rain metaphor. If there had been a steady rain, it would have drummed against the roost, loosed the eaves, washed the silence out to sea. Cleansing metaphor there. And then, of course, the people, instead of being travelers in the epilogue, they are lovers. Yeah, well, it's it's like the it's the weather, it's people, and then it's music. And it's interesting to me because this kind of makes it feel like the Waystone is somehow like unmoored from reality or shielded from reality in a certain way like it's it's like outside the normal turnings of the world it certainly feels separate because they note the like the distant revelry sound that is outside and like i feel like that sound would still somehow normally creep in to a place whereas like here it is it is like it is only outside the end it does not come into the end Indeed. And this is another counterpoint to the prologue. In the prologue, the next paragraph begins inside the waystone. A dark-haired man eased the back door closed behind himself. It is, of course, Bast, who is creeping back inside. In the epilogue, it is outside the waystone, the noise of revelry. So the counterpoint here is in the prologue, we focus inside. In the epilogue, we focus outside. Yeah. So the sounds coming from outside the waystone are the sounds of Shep's wake, And this does make me kind of think that both Bast and Chronicler are like holding themselves apart from the community of nowhere. And I feel like in a small town like this, like not showing up at all to somebody's funeral, it's good. It's going to like stand out to people because this town is small and everyone knows everybody. So if you don't put an appearance at all, it's going to, be commented on and i know that earlier in the book quoth said people around here are practical they'll understand like you know people still have to work their farms people still have to bring in you know the 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 cows or whatever and i still have to run the inn but i do think that quoth's absence will be noted uh from that from that wake and bast's will because he showed up and then left again bast's will i think quoth has always held himself at arm's length i feel Hmm. perhaps for this very reason so that he won't be missed in these moments Mm. that would make sense sorry before we move on there's one more thing i also feel like the sound of revelry especially the stomping boots and clapping hands hides this it's too musical it's musical but it also hides the sounds of bast beating these guys <laughs> i suppose yes because i think the sound that's almost like the far-off shrieking of an owl is like bast pulling someone's arm yeah off i was thinking something. that it was weird that it was the shrieking of an owl and not the hoot it's also almost like it, much like it's almost like, or it's nothing like a smile and, and nothing nothing like a human. It is not that thing. It is almost like that thing. That's either the sound of someone screaming in pain as Bast, like, you know, pulls their guts out and uh, makes a harp out of them. Or it's the sound that Bast makes when he's, like, hunting human beings for sport. <laughs> and either way, it's it's cool and good and normal. Oh, yeah, totally cool and good and normal to hunt human beings for sport. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Do you not have a keen from the very interior of your soul when you hunt man flesh? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe man flesh. When you go on like paintballing, 
I remember when you were we were doing archery tag. You were shrieking like a banshee. I mean, it might be because someone hit me in the middle of the face and I had a bloody nose. <laughs> Pretty sure it was the taste of blood had, had you know got your yeah. It activated Jordana's sicko mode. The third silence is like silences that are specific to Kvo. Yes, and uh, I will do the side by side comparison. The first sentence identical. The third silence is not an easy thing to notice. In the prologue, if you listen long enough, in the epilogue, if you listen for an hour. Prologue, you might feel it in the chill of the window glass. In the epilogue, you might feel it in the chill metal of a dozen locks. That's a lot of locks for a country inn. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe all the rooms have locks, you know. It ends in the man in the hands of the man who lay there mm-hmm. uh, in the prologue, and then it ends in the hands of the man who wore the bruises. Either way, ending in Quoth's hands. I want to talk about Quoth's behavior because he really feels confident and self-assured in the dead of night he moves with the subtle certainty of a thief in the night his eyes are dark and distant almost like he's like operating on his sleeping mind right he's like a little bit unfocused because he's accessed a deeper kind of consciousness and when he goes downstairs he does what he could not do when he really needed to fighting the bandits he makes a single perfect step. So again, you're getting ahead of, of me doing the side by side. The next paragraph starts the same. The man had true red hair, red as flame. His eyes were dark and distant in both. In the opening, he lay with the resigned air of one who has long ago abandoned any hope of sleep. In the epilogue, he moved with the subtle certainty of a thief in the night. So as you say, very confident. Now, should we use our meta knowledge of the first page of Doors of Stone? I mean, I'd be interested. I, I don't remember the first page, so... Go ahead. The first page implies that he's been up all night uh, doing tasks to try to get the the box open. There's like alchemical reagents spilled about. Uh, He's been busy working on the box. This, uh, when he takes his perfect step, like it feels like he's practicing the katan. Yes, but successfully. Yes, the single perfect step is is explicitly a reference to Shaheen because she makes that step in her duel. And Quoth does master the single perfect step before he leaves uh, Ada Ademra, if I recall correctly. He all, he's made one before. I think there, yeah, the single perfect step is mentioned twice. It's definitely full of Ademic import. And the final paragraph is identical. We always end on that cut flower sound of a man who's waiting to die. So what I actually want to discuss is what do we think has changed for Quoth that he can do this now when he couldn't do it before? Is it simply that the stakes are lower now? He's just doing it for himself? Uh, Has he come to some kind of inner understanding or revelation between trying to get the box open and now? What, What has changed, do we think? I can't speak to what's changed because we don't get his interiority, but I read this as ending on a note of hope that despite everything else, there is still something of the old quote in there that can be accessed. Because to not end on this would be kind of a downer, wouldn't you say? But this, this as readers is important because you end going, oh man, there's still a chance. Otherwise, the last we get of Quoth is him defeated at the box. And that's no fun. That's not going to tide us over a 10 plus year gap. This is like the little kid pulling the broom into his hand at the end of The Last Jedi. At the end of the final Star Wars movie. That's right. That's right. At the end of the last piece of Star Wars content anyone ever made. That's right. It ends as a note of hope. Anybody can uh, participate in Star Wars. Anyone can be a Jedi. Anyone can be a hero. Great way to end the saga. Let us not speak 
of it ever again. And it's also a great way to end this podcast where we ostensibly are talking about the name of the wind, but we are always, in fact, talking about Star Wars. <laughs> it's the monomyth. Jordana, it's the end of a chapter. It is the end of a chapter. We've already talked about the chapter title, though. Well, it's the end of a chapter. Uh, I did. I mean, I did check the, the name of the wind, which I have in my hand right now. And it is indeed the same chapter title as the other two. I mean, what do you want from me exactly? I'll give you a silence of three parts. Let's all be quiet. Yeah, we well, we are going to give our listeners a silence of three parts because uh, we're going to go away for a while, and then there's going to be a silence. Yeah, all three where of us will be, be quiet. Dana and Jeremy. If I may, if I may, put on my my analysis hat, which I haven't worn in a little while. You could read this as as building the break into the narrative that in between books there is silence when you're not participating in, when you're not hearing the story. And there's three books. Yeah, there's three books. There's three silences. There's three gaps. When you're in between the books or when you're not reading, when the book's closed up on your shelf, there is a silence. There is nothing to be said. This story is not being told. It is building in the act of you reading the book into its own fiction, into its own narrative. The silence is there when you're not reading it. The silence is part of it. The break is part of it. The gaps in between and before and after are all part of the very story itself. I'm saying, are we in between books as Felorian waiting for Quoth to come back with the news that the song has been told and sung? Very much so. We are simply there waiting longing for the next book very much so we are no that's less right and when rothfuss returns to us we will sex him up with our sex magic <laughs> yes and he also much like both he knows that <laughs> when he returns he will be devoured yeah he won't ever be able to leave again yeah yeah so he is uh he must live uh, and only when he is ready to give himself up will he return to finish his story as promised. But listeners, we'll be back sooner than that, probably, in your ears uh, with, with more content for the trough. Uh, but we are also going to take a, a hiatus, so you won't have us in your ears every day. But if you are hungry for the things, you may join the Patreon. The Patreon will will chug on. Also, we will continue to check the mailbag, as we did in our previous breaks. We had mailbag episodes where we shook out the various folds at the very bottom of the mailbag and found all the letters that had become stuck inside. And we'll do the same. So if you have things to say, things to think, uh, you can send us your thoughts. Am I also right in thinking my faithful co-host that we're going to have a sort of like AMA letter session where we just like, let you, you can ask us whatever you want and we'll, we'll talk about it. We will have a few of those. We are going to have uh, the letters. Obviously, we are going to have a sort of a live Q&A with the stream. And we will probably stream intermittently as well. So keep an eye on the Discord. Keep an eye on the Instagram. Uh, don't bother checking uh, X, aka Twitter, because it's not a pleasant thing to be on. Uh, but I may, still, I may still post to it every now and then. But the best place to keep in touch with us and learn about what we're doing is the Discord. You can find a link to the Discord on any recent episode's metadata. Uh, so please join us there. It's a happening spot. Lots of wonderful folks. Lots of wonderful conversation. Yeah, until then. Until then, you'll you'll hear us soon on one more page. Uh, the Wind. Wind.